Chapter 5 The Dementor Tom woke Harry next morning with his usual toothless grin and a cup of tea. Harry got dressed and was just persuading a disgruntled Hedvig to get back into her cage when Ron banged his way into the room, pulling a sweatshirt over his head and looking irritable. The sooner we get to the train, the better, he said. At least I can get away from Percy at Hogwarts. Now he's accusing me of dripping tea on his photo of Penelope Clearwater. You know, his girlfriend. She's hidden her face under the frame because her nose has gone all blotchy. I've got something to tell you, Harry began, but they were interrupted by Fred and George, who had looked in to congratulate Ron on infuriating Percy again. They headed down to breakfast, where Mr Weasley was reading the front page of the Daily Prophet with a furrowed brow, and Mrs Weasley was telling Hermione and Ginny about a love potion she'd made as a young girl. All three of them were rather giggly. "'What were you saying?' Ron asked Harry as they sat down. "'Later,' Harry muttered as Percy stormed in. Harry had no chance to speak to Ron or Hermione in the chaos of leaving. They were too busy heaving all their trunks down the leaky cauldron's narrow staircase and piling them up near the door with Hedvig and Hermes, Percy's screech owl, perched on top of their cages. A small wickerwork basket stood beside the heap of trunks, spitting loudly. It's all right, Crookshanks, Hermione cooed through the wickerwork. I'll let you out on the train. You won't, snapped Ron. What about poor Scabbers, eh? He pointed at his chest, where a large lump indicated that Scabbers was curled up in his pocket. Mr Weasley, who had been outside, waiting for the ministry cars, stuck his head inside. They're here, he said. Harry, come on. Mr Weasley marched Harry across the short stretch of pavement towards the first of the two old-fashioned dark green cars each of which was driven by a furtive-looking wizard wearing a suit of emerald velvet. "'In you get, Harry,' said Mr Weasley, glancing up and down a crowded street. Harry got into the back of the car and was shortly joined by Hermione, Ron, and, to Ron's disgust, Percy. The journey to King's Cross was very uneventful compared to Harry's trip on the night bus. The Ministry of Magic car seemed almost ordinary, though Harry noticed that they could slide through gaps that Uncle Vernon's new company car certainly couldn't have managed. <clears throat> they, managed they reached King's Cross with 20 minutes to spare. The ministry drivers found them trolleys, unloaded their trunks, touched their hats to Mr Weasley and drove away, somehow managing to jump to the head of an unmoving queue for the traffic lights. Mr Weasley kept close to Harry's elbow all the way into the station. Right then, he said, glancing round them, let's do this in pairs, as there are so many of us. I'll go through first with Harry. Mr Weasley strolled towards the barrier between platforms nine and ten, pushing Harry's trolley and apparently very interested in the intercity 125 that had just arrived at platform nine. With a meaningful look at Harry, he leaned casually against the barrier and Harry imitated him. Next moment they'd fallen sideways through the solid metal 
onto platform nine and three quarters and looked up to see the Hogwarts Express, a scarlet steam engine puffing smoke over a platform packed with witches and wizards seeing their children onto the train. Percy and Ginny suddenly appeared beside, behind Harry. They were panting and had apparently taken the barrier to run. Ah, there's Penelope, said Percy, smoothing his hair and going pink again. Ginny caught Harry's eye, and they both turned away to hide their laughter as Percy strode over to a girl with long, curly hair, walking with his chest thrown out so that she couldn't miss his shiny badge. Once the remaining Weasleys and Hermione had joined them, Harry and Mr Weasley led the way to the end of the train, past packed compartments, to a carriage that looked quite empty. They loaded the trunks onto it, stowed Hedvig and Crookshanks in the luggage rack, then went back outside to say goodbye to Mr and Mrs Weasley. Mrs Weasley kissed all her children, then Hermione, and finally Harry. He was embarrassed, but really quite pleased when she gave him an extra hug. Do take care, won't you, Harry, she said as she straightened up, her eyes oddly bright. And she opened her enormous handbag and said, I've made you all sandwiches. Here you are, Ron. No, they're not corned beef. Fred? Where's Fred? Here you are, dear. Harry, said Mr Weasley quietly, come over here a moment. He jerked his head towards a pillar, and Harry followed him behind it, leaving the others crowded around Mrs Weasley. There's something I've got to tell you before you leave, said Mr Weasley in a tense voice. It's all right, Mr Weasley, said Harry. I already know. You know? How could you know? I, um, I heard you and Mrs Weasley talking last night. I couldn't help hearing, Harry added quickly. Sorry. That's not the way I'd have chosen for you to find out, said Mr. Weasley, looking anxious. No, but honestly, it's OK. This way you haven't broken your word to Fudge, and I know what's going on. Harry, you must be very scared. I'm not, said Harry sincerely. Really, he added, because Mr. Weasley was looking disbelieving. I'm not trying to be a hero, but seriously. Serious back can't be worse than Voldemort, can he? Mr. Weasley flinched at the sound of the name, but overlooked it. Harry, I knew you were uh, well made of stronger stuff than Fudge seems to think, and I'm obviously pleased that you're not scared, but... Arthur! called Mrs. Weasley, who was now shepherding the rest onto the train. Arthur, what are you doing? It's about to go. He's coming, Molly, said Mr. Weasley, but he turned back to Harry and kept talking in a lower and more hurried voice. Listen. I want you to give me your word that I'll be a good boy and stay in the castle, said Harry gloomily. Not entirely, said Mr Weasley, who looked more serious than Harry had ever seen him. Harry, swear to me you won't go looking for Black. Harry stared. What? There was a loud whistle. Guards were walking along the train, slamming all the doors shut. Promise me, Harry, said Mr Weasley, talking about quickly, so whatever happens... Why should I go looking for someone I know wants to kill me, said Harry blankly. Swear to me that whatever you might hear... Arthur, quickly, cried Mrs Weasley. Steam was billowing from the train. It had started to move. Harry ran to the compartment door and ran through it open and stood back to let him in. They leaned out of the window and waved at Mr and Mrs Weasley until the train turned a corner and blocked them from view.
I need to talk to you in private, Harry muttered to Ron and Hermione as the train picked up speed. Go away, Ginny, said Ron. Oh, that's nice, said Ginny huffily, and she stalked off. Harry, Ron and Hermione set off down the corridor, looking for an empty compartment. But all were full except for the one at the very end of the train. This only had one occupant, a man, sitting fast asleep next to the window. <clears throat> Harry, Ron and Hermione checked on the threshold. The Hogwarts Express was usually reserved for students and they'd never seen an adult there before, except for the witch who pushed the food trolley. The stranger was wearing an extremely shabby set of wizard's robes, which had been darned in several places. He looked ill and exhausted. Though quite young, his light brown hair was flecked with grey. Who do you reckon he is? Ron hissed as they sat down and slid the door shut, taking the seats furthest away from the window. Professor R.J. Lupin, whispered Hermione at once. How do you know that? It's on his case, replied Hermione, pointing at the luggage rack over the man's head, where there was a small, battered case held together with a large quantity of neatly knotted string. The name Professor R.J. Lupin was stamped across one corner in peeling letters. Wonder what he teaches, said Ron, frowning at Professor Lupin's pallid profile. That's obvious, whispered Hermione. There's only one vacancy, isn't there? Defence against the dark arts. Harry, Ron and Hermione had already had two Defence Against the Dark Arts teachers, both of whom had only lasted one year. There were rumours that the job was jinxed. Well, I hope he's up to it, said Ron, doubtfully. He looks like one good hex would finish him off, doesn't he? Anyway, anyway, and he turned to Harry. What were you going to tell us? Harry explained all about Mr. and Mr. Weasley's argument and the warning Mr. Weasley had just given him. When he'd finished, Ron looked thunderstruck and Hermione had her hands over her mouth. She finally lowered them to say, Sirius Black escaped to come after you? Oh, Harry, you'll have to be really, really careful. Don't go looking for trouble, Harry. I don't go looking for trouble, said Harry, nettled. Trouble usually finds me. <clears throat> How thick would Harry have to be to go looking for a nutter who wants to kill him, said Ron shakily. They were taking the news worse than Harry had expected. Both Ron and Hermione seemed to be much more frightened of Black than he was. No one knows how he got out of Azkaban, said Ron uncomfortably. No one's ever done it before. And he was a top security prisoner too. But they'll catch him, won't they, said Hermione earnestly. I mean, they've got all the muggles looking out for him too. What's that noise, said Ron suddenly. There was a faint, tinny sort of whistle coming from somewhere. They looked 
or around the compartment. It's coming from your trunk, Harry, said Ron, standing up and reaching into the luggage rack. A moment later he had pulled the pocket sneakerscope out from between Harry's robes. It was spinning very fast in the palm of Ron's hand and glowing brilliantly. Is that a sneakerscope? said Hermione, interestedly standing up for a better look. My, yeah, mind you, it's a very cheap one, Ron said. It went haywire just as I was tying it to Errol's leg to send it to Harry. Were you doing anything untrustworthy at the time, said Hermione shrewdly. Uh, no. Uh, well, I wasn't supposed to be using Errol. You know he's not really up to long journeys. But how else was I supposed to get Harry's present to him? Stick it back in the trunk, Harry advised, as the sneakerscope whistled piercingly, or it'll wake him up. He nodded towards Professor Lupin. Ron stuffed the sneakerscope into a particularly horrible pair of Uncle Vernon's old socks, which deadened the sound, then closed the lid of the trunk on it. We could get it checked in Hogsmeade, said Ron, sitting back down. They sell that sort of thing in dervish and bangs, magical instruments and stuff, Fred and George told me. Do you know much about Hogsmeade? asked Hermione keenly. I've read it's the only entirely non-muggle settlement in Britain. Yeah, I think it is, said Ron, in an offhand sort of way. But that's not why I want to go. I just want to get inside Honeydukes. What's that? said Hermione. It's this sweet shop, said Ron, a dreamy look coming over his face, where they've got everything. Pepper imps, they make you smoke at the mouth, and great fat chocoballs full of strawberry mousse and clotted cream, and really excellent sugar quills, which you can suck in glass and just look like you're thinking what to write next. But Hogsmeade's a very interesting place, isn't it? Hermione pressed on eagerly. In sights of historical sorcery, it says... The inn was the headquarters for the 1612 Goblin Rebellion and the Shrieking Shack, supposed to be the most severely haunted building in Britain. And massive sherbet balls that make you levitate a few inches off the ground while you're sucking them, said Ron, who was plainly not listening to a word Hermione was saying. Hermione looked around at Harry. Won't it be nice to get out of school for a bit and explore Hogsmeade? Expected will, said Harry heavily. You'll have to tell me when you found out. What do you mean, said Ron? I can't go. The Dursleys didn't sign my permission form, and Fudge wouldn't either. Ron looked horrified. You're not allowed to come? But no way, McGonagall or someone will give you permission. <clears throat> Harry gave a hollow laugh. Professor McGonagall, head of Gryffindor House... He was very strict. Or we can ask Fred and George. They know every secret passage out of the castle. Ron, said Hermione sharply, I don't think Harry should be sneaking out of school with Black on the loose. Yeah, I expect, that, I expect that's what McGonagall was saying when I asked for permission, said Harry bitterly. But if we're with him, said Ron spiritedly to Hermione, Black wouldn't dare. Oh, Ron, don't talk rubbish, snapped Hermione. 
Black's already murdered a whole bunch of people in the middle of a crowded street. So do you really think he's going to worry about attacking Harry just because we're there? She was fumbling with the straps of Crookshank's basket as she spoke. Don't let that thing out, Ron said, but too late. Crookshank. Crookshank leapt lightly from the basket, stretched, yawned, and sprang onto Ron's knees. The lump in Ron's pocket trembled and he shoved Crook, Crookshanks angrily away. Get out of it! Ron, don't! said Hermione angrily. Ron was about to answer back when Professor Lupin stirred. They watched him apprehensively, but he simply turned his head the other way, mouth slightly open, and slept on. The Hogwarts Express moved steadily north, and the scenery outside the window became wilder and darker, while the clouds overhead thickened. People were chasing backwards and forwards past the door of their commandment. Crookshanks had now settled in an empty seat, his squashed face turned towards Ron, his yellow eyes on Ron's top pocket. At one o'clock, the plump witch with the food trolley arrived at the compartment door. Do you think we should wake him up? Ron asked awkwardly, nodding towards Professor Lupin. He looks as like he could do with some food. Hermione approached Professor Lupin cautiously. Ah, uh, Professor, she said. Excuse me, Professor... He didn't move. Don't worry, dear, said the witch, as she handed Harry a large stack of cauldron cakes. If he's hungry when he wakes, I'll be up in front with the driver. I suppose he's asleep, said Ron quietly, as the witch slid the compartment door closed. I mean, he hasn't died, has he? No, no, he's breathing, whispered Hermione, taking the cauldron cake Harry passed her. He might not be very good company, but Professor Lupin's presence in their compartment had its uses. Mid-afternoon, just as it had started to rain, blurring the rolling hills outside the window, they heard footsteps in the corridor again, and their three least favourite people appeared at the door. Draco Malfoy, flanked by his cronies Vincent Crabbe and Gregory Goyle. Draco Malfoy and Harry had been enemies ever since they had met on their very first train journey to Hogwarts. Malfoy, who had a pale, pointed, sneering face, was in Slytherin House. He played Seeker on the Slytherin Quidditch team, the same position that Harry played on the Gryffindor team. Crabbe and Goyle seemed to exist to do Malfoy's bidding, they were both wide and musmy. Crabbe was the taller, with a pudding basin haircut and a very thick neck. Goyle had short, bristly hair and long, gorilla arms. Well, look who it is, said Malfoy in his usual lazy drawl, pulling open the compartment doors. Potty and the weasel. Crabbe and Goyle chuckled trollishly. <clears throat> I heard your father finally got his hands on some gold this summer, Weasley, said Malfoy. 
Did your mother die of shock? Ron stood up so quickly, he knocked Crookshank's basket to the floor. Professor Lupin gave a snort. Who's that? said Malfoy, taking an automatic step backwards as he spotted Lupin. New teacher, said Harry, who had got to his feet too, in case he needed to hold Ron back. What were you saying, Malfoy? Malfoy's pale eyes narrowed. He wasn't fool enough to pick a fight right under a teacher's nose. Come on, he muttered resentfully to Crab and Doyle, and they disappeared. Harry and Ron sat down again, Ron massaging his knuckles. I'm not going to take any rubbish from Malfoy this year, he said angrily. I mean it. If he makes one more crack about my family, I'm going to get hold of his head. Ron made a violent gesture in midair. Ron, is Hermione pointing at Professor Lupin. Be careful. But Professor Lupin was still fast asleep. The rain thickened as the train spared yet further north. The windows were now a solid, shimmering grey, which gradually darkened, until lanterns flickered into life all along the corridors and over the luggage racks. The train rattled, the rain hammered, the wind roared, but still Professor Lupin slept. We must be nearly there, said Ron, leaning forward to look past Professor Lupin at the now completely black window. The words had hardly left him when the train started to slow down. Brilliant, said Ron, getting up and walking carefully past Professor Lupin to try and see outside. I'm starving. I want to get to the feast. We can't be there yet, said Hermione, checking her watch. So why are we stopping? The train was getting slower and slower. As the noise of the pistons fell away, the wind and rain sounded louder than ever against the windows. Harry, who was nearest the door, got up to look into the corridor. All along the carriage, heads were sticking curiously out of their compartments. The train came to a stop with a jolt, and distant thuds and bangs told them that luggage had fallen out of the racks. Then... Without warning, all the lamps went out, and they were plunged into total darkness.